Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 146, All Those Pesky Moral Ambiguities. This week we're discussing season 1, episode 1 of Battlestar Galactica, 33, and season 2, episode 21 of Angel, Through the Looking Glass. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. I said the right show. <laughs> Good. Um, um, that, as... that being a reference to the fact that in take one, I did not say the right show. <laughs> no, I, was, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> um, I was thinking it, though, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've so, I've been saying this for too long. It's like I, speaking of being on autopilot, I am apparently on autopilot. To perfectly uh, to be uh, to perfectly honest to be perfectly <laughs> honest, I can't talk tonight either. So uh, I had that same problem last week. Um, mentally, I didn't actually say it, so maybe right. it's not quite the same. Maybe you're worse than me. Um, <laughs> all right, so we should we should talk about the show. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight's gonna be interesting. Uh, I, 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 I noted uh, in your notes that you actually put together some production notes. I know we didn't, weren't necessarily going to do this for every episode of BSG. Um, not that we do it for every episode of any of the shows we look at, but um, some good, uh, some good stuff. Wanted to point out here. Right? Yeah, I want to at least try to do it. When it, sometimes when it's relevant, even though um, uh, I might forget some, t- some weeks. But um, I feel like this is definitely one I wanted to point out um, because 30, you know, a lot of shows and I think Doctor Who and Buffy, we talked about, take a little bit of time to sort of warm up to their best uh, selves. Whereas, you know, BSG, I don't want to necessarily say that it's downhill from here, but it does start on kind of a high note. Um, Mm -hmm. And this uh, first episode, 33, um, actually won the Hugo Award for uh, short form dramatic presentation. Um, And interestingly enough, it beat two episodes of Angel to do it. Um, And as well as the pilot of Lost and one episode of Stargate SG-1. Um, and you, I mean, obviously we don't want to talk about those episodes of Angel yet, but you sort of put a note in that they are two good ones from the last season that we can sort of look forward to. So Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Kind of interesting yeah, well, how the, well, the beginning of BSG is overlapping with the end of Angel and everything. So we're sort of... Right, which, which kind of ties together all of our shows here, right? Because mm-hmm. then you get BSG overlapping with Doctor Who mm-hmm. in subsequent years. Um, yeah, and losing and, to Doctor and, Who as Doctor Who sort of dominates the Hugos for at least like the first like four or five years or something. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's definitely um, an interesting sort of tie uh, together there. Yeah. Um, and and actually, so, um, I mean, I, I, you know, not to talk more about Angel, but like Angel does have uh, several um, Hugo uh, nominations. It doesn't win any of the years, um, as mm-hmm. as Buffy does as well. The 
um, short form presentation uh, looks like started in 2003. Right. So, um, which is actually, there's a Buffy episode that gets nominated, but that's sort of like the only year that Buffy's even eligible. Right. Um, right. Uh, or, or maybe, well, okay, anyway, we can talk about that when we get to that. But um, I did, yeah, definitely want to mention um, the two episodes that, Angel goes that uh, Battlestar Galactica go, goes up against here um, are definitely two great episodes. One is the series finale, so mm-hmm. it's you know sort of the culmination and just just really well done. And also there's a sort of you know nostalgia factor because by the time they're like voting on you know these shows and stuff, like sure. everyone's like, oh, Angel's over. We should you know give it a nod here. Um, the other one is sort of one of those offbeat one-off episodes that just like everybody seems to love like mm. when they see it so um i thematically very different from like hush or the body but mm-hmm. like i would put it sort of up there as like one of angel's versions of that uh-huh. um you know not again like totally thematically whatever not anything like it but definitely a uh yeah something that that will you, I feel like you will enjoy it really quite a bit when we get to it in three <laughs> seasons, um, or like two three and a half years, two and a half. <laughs> um, yeah, um, uh, yeah. But anyway, so, but I, you know, I want to mention, like, I want to spend a lot of time mentioning that. I don't remember. So uh, it went up against the Lost pilot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then um, the Stargate SG One episode, which I've seen, although, like. I've seen all of the Stargate series and all of the episodes within those series, plus the various movies and like television movies and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, it's hard to remember <laughs> which is which, yeah. Which is which, and what all of those um, things are. But um, yeah, but, well, but I mean, you know, the point being, it's a strong category, which yeah, seems yeah. to have several. You know, good. It, it's like looking through the lists of what the nominees are. There are rarely any years where you don't, you know, you you can't see worthy contenders in a number of like. You know, it's usually a case of like, well, there's at least like three or four different really strong options. Um, and especially, I think getting into like, what is this? Two thousand five television starting to get even stronger in yeah in quality like you know i think whedon had kind of been ahead of the curve in that department with buffy and angel but this is when and, everybody and firefly even and firefly too right this, yeah but yeah. this is the time when i feel like the rest of tv is starting to catch up you know in terms of having strong uh you know creative people you know working on it and everything and not you know those being, and maybe that's why they split the Hugo into long and short form is like, well, you know, movies and TV are kind of really different mediums and rec- finding a way to recognize strong work in television, I think is good. Um, so that it's not just up a, up against whatever the big, like, you know, blockbuster is that year, which is probably definitely going to win. Um, sure. You know it's nice to have like a little venue for like these really good TV shows. Um, so yeah. And then, so 
Um, it also was nominated, this episode 33 was also nominated for um, some, some special effects awards too. One of them being an Emmy um, and the other being the Visual Effects Society, um, which was for performance by an animated character. So I imagine that's maybe one of the Cylons. Um, hmm. I can't think of what else it would be. But anyway, yeah. so yeah. Um, getting a recognition you know, Hugo's, I feel like, tend to be more about the whole package. So, like, the writing, directing, acting, but also getting kind of, uh, like, it's technical awards, too, as, like, yeah. you know, strong visually well, and everything. And, and the Hugo's are fan awards. Right. Like, they're voted on yes. by the fans. Right. They're not a professional. Right. They're not. Whereas the Emmys, it's like, you know, it's you want the professionals and the critics and everything. Um, And then, speaking of critics, I... Uh, didn't even bother to really link it because there's too many examples really to to note. But in kind of if you Google like you know best episodes of BSG and from like fans or critics, this one is always if not number one, it's it's up there high. Um, so you know, again, this series is if you're looking at this as kind of another pilot after the sort of you know. Uh, miniseries pilot it's coming out like you know all guns blazing mm -hmm. out of the gate they're really wanting to make their mark in the first episode and it's you know remembered as one of the best uh episodes that they did so um sure yeah so hopefully we can live up to that in our discussion um so we kind of yeah. wanted to start with something we've been putting off talking about in the last couple of weeks. Totally intentionally. Totally intentionally. And yeah, um, that's what I'm sticking with. So, yeah. Right. Had maybe. nothing to do with the fact that we went grossly over time in our <laughs> last two episodes. But for whatever reason, um, I'm really glad that we didn't get to it because I feel like I actually would have done this intentionally had I been smart enough. And so, yeah, um, I feel like this episode is a really good place to talk about this topic. Yeah, which is, drumroll, I guess, <laughs> uh, FTL, or Faster Than Light Travel. Um, so, yeah, we... I, this was one of those things that we were going to talk about sort of as we were talking about, like sort of the mechanics of the show and the world building and, and all of that. Um, but this is a really good episode given um, the sort of, we only see like two FTL trips, right? Or even it's just the one, I guess, actually they prepare for a second one and then never do it. Is that right? Now I'm getting uh, confused or do they do gosh. a second one? I think it's just the one. I guess it's, it's number 237, right? right? And then they, they prepare for 238, but never go through with it. Right. Uh, in this You're episode. You're right. You're right. Um, so, but sort of the implied number of times anyway, or the stated number of times that they have to go through it. Um, and you sort of had mentioned, well, okay. So let first of all, faster than light travel, pretty sort of self-explanatory. Like you go faster than light to a place. <laughs> um, you know, we don't know exactly how it is. It seems different than like um, 
you know, the hyperspace of Star Wars or right. even the warp speed of Star Trek. Um, it seems to be somewhat instantaneous, although that mm. might just be because it's really, really fast, right? Right, right. It, you know, there's something, it, it's not like a wormhole thing necessarily, or at least it doesn't feel like that or look like that or mm -hmm. look like what we would expect it to look like. It doesn't actually exist in our world, or at least we haven't gotten there yet. So to say it doesn't look like it is sort of dumb. But you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not how it's that sort of thing is depicted usually in mm -hmm. science fiction and stuff. So we don't get a real clear, like, technical explanation of what it's doing. Um, we just know that there are these drives that uh, that they have. There are some ships that have them and some that don't, which we learn in the miniseries, right? They have to leave mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of ships behind because right. they don't have faster than light capabilities. Um, and even, even uh, you know, it appears that like, you know, there are some short, like there's, there's sort of like limits to it. So right. like um, uh, a Boomer flies a ship, um, you know, a, a Raptor, that has like limited faster than light capabilities. Mm -hmm. Like she can go short distances with it, mm -hmm. um, but you know, the Battlestar and other ships can go longer. Mm -hmm. um, and we get in, in sort of the last episode, we got a reference to uh, there being some sort of maximum limit, right? Which it seems more of like a self-imposed limit. Like you're not supposed to go beyond it. Right. For some reason, like bad things will happen if you do um, that they talk about the red line, mm -hmm. you know, um, where like, but you can apparently coax your system to go past that if need be, as they do. Um, and as Ty sort of mentions, like, hey, we've never done this before. <laughs> like, yeah. maybe we should. I think it, it is. It's Ty who says that, right? Like, we've we've never jumped past the red line. Before, uh, well, or, or or it's far well, past the red line. Or so maybe there's a there's a there's a couple different things. So yeah, like I I tried to like think about like all the different things we learned over the course of the mini series about it. Um, so like one thing I think it's Ty that points out that like in particular this battle star hasn't even jumped in twenty years or something. So like sure. you know capabilities of the technology aside, you also have like it's the sort limit. of been sticking around Caprica, just kind of doing local right. Like it's a, it's an know. old car that's like all right, it can get you to like the grocery store, but maybe you shouldn't try to drive it cross country kind of thing. Of like you know we're not quite sure that we can still do this, and but like they are forced to you know. Uh, break out the old technology and and do it um and then uh there's also the thing with the red line um that's yeah like it does seem like something of like it is dangerous to go past this point or like you know you're even maybe venturing into sort of uncharted waters type of thing of like maybe we don't know what's you know past this point um and mm -hmm here be dragons sort of a thing of like all right we're off the map now um and then right there's also the little exchange um with adama and lieutenant gata where um adama kind of says like can you plot a jump to here and gata says well i've never plotted a jump that far and adama says nobody has <laughs> so it's not it again there's that issue of like all right we have 
untested crew who are doing things they've never done before, but we're also doing things that nobody's never ever done before. So it's not even so much about what we know how to do as to, you know, we're going beyond the limits of what, you know, has even been tested. Um, so like those, I think are the big things is like, yeah, like the crew are clearly not very practiced at this. And then you're also going into, you know, uncharted territory with technology that may or may not be, you know, uh, workable. Um, and then one of the things we were going to talk about before was like, you know, the kind of big, um, ceremony of it. Like there's a big long countdown to it. And like, everybody's like very like serious. Right. And like, there's the whole thing of if we're even off by a, you know, a decimal point, you know, we'll end up in a star. Like, you know, literally everybody could literally die if we get this wrong. Um, mm -hmm. And there's that like shot of like Callie, like, you know, yeah, cringing. Yeah. yeah. And looking like sick and you get that whole like tunnel vision thing and everything. Um, and so there's all this like drum and they all like congratulate each other when they do it. Like there's all this like shaking of hands and everything like, Oh, thank God. Like <laughs> we survived the jump. And so what really strikes me is like, all right, now we pick up in episode one, it's five days later or whatever. And that's totally gone. That whole, yeah. like any sort of like sense that this is a big deal has like completely fled. Like, you know, we've done this over 200 times nonstop for the last five days. And like, you know, I think back to Ty's comment about how no one's a rookie anymore. Like, that's absolutely how it is. You know, no one's working anymore. And they are, you know, even five days later, we are completely, you know, it, yeah. not that we're beyond mistakes, but nobody is uh, new to this. Like they have it down to the well-oiled machine and, you know, um, you know, it's something that they are literally almost doing in their sleep now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, so that's a good, they are kind of doing it in their sleep, right? Like, <laughs> that's a good segue to the uh, plot of the episode, I feel like, because um, part of the reason why they've done it 237 times, um, mm -hmm. or the the jump in that we see at the beginning is the 237th mm -hmm. one, um, is that they've been doing it every half hour-ish. Yeah. Uh, you know, for the last five days, five, almost five and a half days, if you actually, as I may have done, you know, uh, <laughs> well, uh, multiply the 33 the hours, and, yeah. and sort of convert it to hours. Um, you know, there's, you know, it's five and a half days of this. So, yes, it is rote, but I feel like there's also a, an aspect to it of they don't, they're so tired from... Mm -hmm the lack of sleep and and the you, you know you get this i mean we can talk about sort of lee later and his speech as cag mm -hmm. but um or lack thereof um <laughs> you know but but like you get the sense that this enti that the entire ship is just it's me like even if even if they um like they just don't care for any kind of pomp and circumstance at this point like right, it's exactly it's not even that they are so good at FTL that they don't need to do the 10 second countdown and all that anymore. It's just that like, 
why? Nobody, why even bother? It's like that. Like, ain't nobody, nobody got time for this it. kind of yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, so there's 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 that aspect to it that it's just there's no there's no reason to do that sort of thing. And but you also get the feeling that that's true of all of like the ship's procedures at this point, like. Mm-hmm you know they're running on bare minimum any sort of ceremony that doesn't have practical use which is kind of the definition of ceremony right Right. like um is is just going to be excised at this point um but but i i like how that's done because from from an ftl perspective it does sort of like say okay like maybe we had to make this big ceremony of it before well you know for story reasons because it was like yeah, there's the 20, you know, we haven't jumped in 20 years thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's, uh, pat ourselves on know, the back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's make sure we're dotting all our I's and crossing all our T's. Um, but there's also that thing of like, okay, that was a mini series. How do we get away from that now? And so, like, yeah. you know, obviously, like, I don't think the plot was written specifically to do that, but it's kind of a nice yeah. convenience that, we're able to say, okay, we've done this 200 times. <laughs> we don't need on the show anymore to show like all of the, you know, countdown and like the, um, you know, like the effect that it has, mm-hmm. you know, on the crew and sort of the time distortion and stuff. Like, like we showed that once already. Mm-hmm. Now we've done it a lot of times. You can just trust us. We've done it a lot of times and yeah. we'll move on. For, like now we'll just see the ship go whoop and it's somewhere else. And yeah. that's yeah. cool. Like, so from sort of a practical, like storytelling perspective, it's like, okay, we, we don't need to go through all that. anymore. Yeah. And I, I also like too. It, it drives home again, that point of, again, to Ty's point about nobody being rookies anymore just because mm-hmm. the crew is like, we talked so much in the miniseries about how they're sort of young and untested just because that's true. doesn't mean they're not good at their jobs, you know? And sure. so you get the fact that actually they're capable of doing this, you know, uh, 200 times in five days. And yeah. now like, and, but you get the weight of how important, you know, it is not to make mistakes. Like, you know, again, the line about if we're off in the calculations, we'll be end up in a star. Like when everybody's going on no sleep, that seems like a very real danger. Um, and we will talk about, you know, the, the thing with the Olympic carrier, like we get to see like, okay, the consequences of a mistake when somebody, you know, uh, you know, again, we don't necessarily find out exactly what happened with that situation, but mm-hmm. you know, we we see like what happens if the people if the crew do make a mistake um you know and i feel like especially for like the cic like it's easy to see like well you know if if a pilot makes a mistake they get killed you know um but it's like if somebody in cic makes a mistake everybody gets killed you know there's like the sense of like all right, right. you're got, you're the ones driving the ship and you know any little tiny mistake that they make could have an impact on, you know, thousands of lives, not just their own. Um, So it kind of like drives home, you know, I guess how sort of competent they have to be, Um, you know, kind of like putting them through the trial by fire sort of, you know, 
and then some, you know, in the, you know, in the very first episode. Um, and, you know, I do wonder, just referring back to uh, Callie there for the, the minute of her initial thing, like, you, you also have to wonder, like, is it that she's no longer feeling that sort of, I don't, whatever it is, nausea or, mm-hmm. you know, discomfort or whatever? Or is it just that, like, it's one of those things where, like, you learn to live with the pain kind of yeah. thing. So, like, you're so you know, used now, to it. Yeah. Right. She, it doesn't it doesn't feel any better. It's just, you know, it, you can handle it. Yeah. You have handled it now hundreds of times, literally. And you just move forward. Um, mm-hmm. To the point where now she's sort of like musing, why is it every 33 minutes? Why not 34? 30 right, it's right. like, as Tyrrell says, shut up, <laughs> you know, right, right. That's, doesn't matter. Um, although, we shouldn't ignore that question because I, that is actually a really good question. Like, why is it, you know, this particular amount of time every time? Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you have any theories as to that? We don't necessarily get an answer. No, but, I, um, I guess, I guess my, you know, obviously we don't know all of the different, you know, uh, intricate details of the 237 jumps that they made. So, like, my guess would be that's the amount of time it takes for whatever signal they're following mm-hmm. to reach the Cylons. So, like, like whatever signal it is, it's like a sublight, mm-hmm. you know, signal. So they're jumping far enough away that it takes 33 minutes to get back and then maybe not 33 minutes exactly like maybe it's you know 20 minutes and then it takes them another 13 minutes to calculate right the jump or what you know whatever whatever that time you're that like that's the shortest amount of time that the cylons can get there because they're relying on some signal that takes a particular amount of time and then you know they have to do the calculation of their own Mm -hmm. you know to find out where they're gonna be Yeah, well, and the other... um, I don't remember if we get an actual answer to that or not. I don't think we do. Um, I don't think we ever do. Like, it's just one of those things, like, they stop following. Right. At 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 this this rate, yeah. At some Um, point. Right, right. I mean, right. The Cylons are always looking for the Battlestar. That's that's obvious. But, I mean, like, they stop, yeah, they stop sort of chasing after them with this same ability. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I think the other aspect too of like, and again, like it's hard to talk about motivation when you don't actually necessarily get an answer for, you know, why they're doing it the way they're doing it. But, um, you know, Baltar and Six talking about like, you know, there are limits to what people can take. And I get the real sense of like, this is a form of kind of torture, you know, like of, you know, sleep deprivation as like a way to you know uh you know like maybe wearing them down to the you know to when they eventually catch them they'll sort of be like you know easier to sort of overwhelm and so there's there's something about the regularity of like 33 minutes is like just enough time to like maybe get your work done and sleep for like you know, a minute and then like you have to do it all over again. 
there's something kind of right. like methodical about that. Well, um, and and there's definitely because they, um, you know, they talk about like in the beginning, it's like, oh, we're getting slower and we had to reboot our system. So there's definitely like an incremental toll being taken on the systems too, not just right. on the humans, but like right. on the on the mechanical and electronic systems that are, you know, running uh, like those calculations and whatnot. Um, so, so the, I, like, I agree with you that that's the effect of it. I'm not sure I agree that that would necessarily be the Cylon's motivation though. So mm -hmm. like, um, with the Cylons, they're like, they come in guns blazing. Like, it's like they come in and boom, they launch every ship and every like torpedo that they can launch. Right. Right. All at once. And like, the Galactica just barely gets away, like ahead of them all. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the ultimate goal is not, uh, you know, let's, let's wear them out, you know, little by little until they're just so tired, they can't move anymore. But it's, it's the same as it always has been. It's just pure and simple annihilation. Mm -hmm. They just can't quite get there. And so they keep going, going. Cause like, I feel like, Twice we get uh, the phrase, maybe this time, mm -hmm. right? And first Adama says it, and then Ty says it. And with each utterance, it's, you know, you kind of like know that they don't really believe it. But there's, mm -hmm. there's like still that little bit of hope of, you know, what do they mean? May, you know, finish that sentence. It's maybe this time they won't show up, mm -hmm. right? I feel like the Cylons are probably saying that same phrase. <laughs> <laughs> but like the end of their sentence is maybe this time we'll blow the hell out of them or whatever, right. you know, yeah. like something along those lines. Um, and it's just that like each time it's, it, it's just not happening. Like what, you know, what each side wants to happen just isn't happening. Um, so I, you know, sure. I, I could be wrong of course. Uh, cause we don't, we don't get, uh, the motivations or, um, you know, sort of the technical aspects or whatever. Um, maybe, maybe it is a form of psychological warfare. Like it, you know, certainly, um, sleep deprivation is used in like torture and that sort of thing, you know, blasting loud music and, mm -hmm. you know, keeping the enemy awake and that kind of thing, um, is used. So it, it, it's certainly plausible. I guess I just don't see that given the amount of destruction and like the wanton nature of that destruction. Like, I just don't see that as being like the Cylons sort of ultimate goal. Sure. Sure. Like they're okay with that happening. It's just not what they're necessarily trying to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that um, makes sense. So with respect to like sort of that plot then, so the the effect of all of this, right, is is the sleep deprivation, as as we sort of mentioned, mm -hmm. um, and and you mentioned sort of Baltar's quote of there are limits to the human body, the human mind, tolerances that you can't push beyond. All those are facts, provable facts. Everyone has their limit. Um, and interestingly enough, I did actually look up like what is the limit of sleep deprivation. Um, apparently, the longest clinical uh, 
study or trial or whatever you want to call it is there was like one guy who was able to stay awake for like 11 days um so five and a half days eh, we're we're halfway there like it should we're not too bad right sure, sure. <laughs> um, no i like clearly that's still bad um Right, but the, you're but we're also factoring in the the amount of, the amount of work they're fitting in too. Right, um, right. Well, that's not that was just the, keeping awake. It's actually again checking your numbers, making sure you're right. like if you're in the plane, you can't be doing anything stupid. Like everybody and has to be on all the time. That's what I was. That's what I was going to go on to say was that there's, um, you know, the studies that are done do say that. Uh, very interesting things start happening even after like 24 hours of no mm -hmm. sleep and it, it's that sort of thing it's loss of concentration it's you know um inability to do sort of higher order functions and that kind of thing um now it appears that not everybody is completely sleep deprived and and one of the so one of the things that i was wondering is <coughs> you know why is this an everybody thing like mm -hmm. why is literally everybody losing sleep like you sure. you already on the galactica you would already have like it's already in an around the clock ship right like like right. It, you know it's never not gonna be manned and so you already have shifts other than like i kind of feel like they're doing themselves a disservice by ha like announcing every time they're going to ftl right like it's like hey everybody we're going to ftl and it's like why don't you just let half the ship sleep for like you know 10 jumps right right or whatever i you know maybe more maybe 20 jumps i guess that would be like six hours you know take six hour shifts right let half half the ship sleep and the other half like worry about the business of ftl and you know Sure. And the vipers and stuff um like that this can't be like the first time ever that uh a battle star has and, and like even thinking about the fact that like adama and ty have been in battle before like they've mm -hmm. been in this nobody else on the ship has but they have at least so like mm -hmm. and but they're also the ones in charge so like you would think that like hey let's let's work out some sort after the first day of this let's work out some kind of shift system right if there isn't one already uh you know to sort of handle this so that people can deal with it um appropriately um i can understand like ty and adama maybe being sleep deprived mm -hmm. because you know they need to be in charge and on deck and you know with all hands whatever but like who's who's the person who takes duala's job when she's sleeping or you know right. off duty or whatever right, like right like i feel like there's or you know lieutenant gata or whatever like right like like it's not it's not like everyone always has to be on call all the time yes there may be certain positions where that's the case and you know you'll deal with that as you need to but um I don't know it like it feels a little off to me sure. that everyone yeah. is sleep deprived and and also like even on like colonial one it's like okay this president like like president roslin has stuff to do but it's not like she's signing new legislation and stuff right like mm -hmm. 
Like, I get that there's, like, all these sort of petitions coming from the other ships and things that she's dealing with, but that would be true regardless of whether or not the Cylons were, like, coming yeah. every 33 minutes. Right, and she's not essential for, like, being the jumping the right. ship or... You know, right, like as... right, she's not a pilot, you know, whatever. Like, yeah. I, again, like, it's more the announcement. Right, uh, right. Which, is, con- which, yeah. which is controllable. Like, right. you don't have to announce that, hey, we're going to FTL. Just say, hey, everyone, for the foreseeable future, we're going to be jumping every 33 minutes. <laughs> Till told otherwise, yeah. Um, yeah I, so I have a couple... I have a couple different things of like varying degrees of how much I've con- I'm convinced by them. Like I think the real, the real answer and the kind of most cynical one is like, that's what's needed for the episode, right? Like sure, um, sure. And I think there's a there's an aspect of that of like, we only have so many speaking, speaking roles, right? Like we can't maybe from a practical, you know, how many actors do you want to pay sort of thing we don't want to hire Dewala's understudy you know we want Dewala there you know or whatever like you know and I feel like that's like the most like you know but you I mean you could still have Dewala there and just have like a offhand comment that says oh yeah you know Jones took over while I was sleeping last shift you sure. like, like, and, and like, I, I i say that as it's the most cynical in the sense of like i, I don't yeah. know that i have a good defense for it and there probably are other ways you could that's to me the like indefensible like well this is what we decided to do for for practical reasons it doesn't necessarily mean there aren't better ways of doing it or that that's the most like satisfying from like a narrative point of view um there and i want to be clear like this is this is like a uh uh criticism of love so to speak because sure i really like this episode like sure. i really think it's a good episode um, um i i so no yeah. and I, i'm not i'm not done yet because that's my most like if i if i want to totally throw them under the bus that's the answer i would give um another aspect which makes me feel a little bit better about it is like, all right, we are dealing again with like a limited amount of characters and the ones who are kind of the leaders in a sense. So like, we don't necessarily see the guy who's like off sleeping in the corner and get to know who he is. And like the ones we're with are like the Adamas and the Ties and the Tyrells who are like running Mm. their respective departments. So like, Maybe they are the ones, maybe the people who we don't get to know are on shift and like the ones who are absolutely essential are the ones who are there all the time. The other thing, which, you know, again, they don't necessarily say this. So this is like my own kind of headcanon, I guess. But, um, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, are we understaffed because of the retiring ceremony? Like you know, what if we're not running with kind of full capacity of crew, you know? I mean, we know that, like, a lot of Tyrell's crew members, you know, died in that fire. Um, And we know that a bunch of pilots got killed, you know? Like, I don't know how many, if it was, like, half of them or whatever, you know, got slaughtered early on. So we know that those two sort of departments are understaffed and, you know, 
maybe that's true of the CIC as well. Like I could see them like, okay, tomorrow is the, you know, the retirement ceremony. We don't necessarily have, you know, the full amounts of numbers as if we were expecting to really run this place properly. Um, so like, maybe they don't have any alternates, you know, like maybe, maybe D is the only one who is trained for her job, you know? Um, I don't know if that's true, but you know, that is like, that's kind of at least how I've been sort of thinking of it is like, at least for now, there's nobody else. Um, you know, but you know, yeah, I maybe, maybe, as I said, I don't know that that's the truest answer, um, to like, what is like the real reason of why it was written the way it was, but, um, you know, I think that's, that's at least for me, the one that if they could have slipped in a line or two about that would have felt the most satisfying from like a narrative perspective. Um, but you know, I think there, are, it's a, it's, it's a flaw in an otherwise strong episode. Um, you know, we never really, it is a good idea to have all of these characters totally sleep deprived. I don't know that they sufficiently explain why that has to be. Um, so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, for whatever reason, everybody's tired. Yes. <laughs> Um, we get like the, the reference from Adama that people are getting nervous exhaustion or maybe mm -hmm. it was Ty who says, I don't know. They're like, they like talk together so much. I can't, can't quite always remember who said Yeah, who said who. Um, and then, um, actually I think it is Ty because then Adama is the one who sort of orders them to get stimulants, right? From right. the doctor. Um, and you know, which always good to drug up your army <laughs> yeah um yeah and ty kind of has the line about well that'll come back to bite us you know of like all right, right. this is a short-term solution that's going to create a lot of bigger problems down the road um, um well and then you get uh right you, you <laughs> and you get that from the substance abuser <laughs> you know as though like sure he might he, know something he knows, about he this, knows yeah. this is how things like that get started right yeah. um which you know if it's necessary it's necessary but you do see so later once you get like lee and starbuck you know on their stimulants right they're mm -hmm. sort of exuberance and flying like there's a lot of chatter and like mm -hmm. Right, they get a little you know, silly. At least yeah. in the early part, you know, before they sort of realize the direness of the Olympic carrier situation, um, you do get sort of like, yeah, they're chattiness and, and like, oh, we're on stimulants. That's why I got picked, you know? And it's right, like, right. you know, almost a little too giddy, like the other way from, mm -hmm. you know, it's not that they're any more rested, right? Like they, they're still potential like concentration issues there and things like that it's just that now yeah. they're sort of drugged up and and they're you know i don't know what if it's like you know uh caffeine or something or you, you know like uh no dose or whatever mm -hmm. um but it's it's that sort of thing um 
it seemed like. So like there's definitely, you know, impacts to that uh, as well. Like, especially yeah. if you're still running on like the no sleep, like it's not necessarily going to make you less tired. It's just going to make you more like ignore the effects of your tiredness. No. And it even um, kind of means that when you crash, it'll probably be worse than it would have been, you know? Sure. Um, sure. And I like that you get that from Starbucks as like, you know, the, the, the ace flyer, who's the best one in the cockpit, she knows not to mess with this stuff. Now she ends up doing it, you know, and kind of talks herself into doing it, but um, you still, she's the most resistant to the idea because she uh, wants to be in control of her plane and knows that on stimulants, she's less in control, um, you know, and like, you kind of feel like, Though she may be, you know, you know, tactless or, you know, a bull in a china shop or whatever, you feel like at least when it's flying, she knows what she's talking about, you know? And mm. so um, it kind of means a lot when she's the one to say, like, no, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, and actually, on that on that theme, just very quickly, I like the little ironic reference to Boomer being the least tired and how they're sort of joking, oh, it's because she's a Cylon, you know, um, like, you know, those little references sneaking themselves in um, of like what, what we the audience know and what the characters don't know, but maybe sort of, they don't suspect, but like, it's not like they're not noticing that there's something a little bit different about her. So um you know yeah no there's that little uh accusation right mm -hmm. <laughs> um Wait, yeah which is totally joking you know nobody's even taking that seriously um right right but... of course yep yep um <clears throat> all right so um that's the situation, right? Is the 33. But then we get the, after the 237th jump, uh, you get the oddity, right? That, oh, wait a minute. There is something different. They don't arrive at the 33 minute mark. Um, and in fact, there's a ship missing. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's all sorts of speculation about that. You know, what's going on there? Like, um, you get sort of the, uh, well, the realization from Duala, right? That like, not all the ships have made it. Mm -hmm. And then you get the like accusations from Ty, mm -hmm. um, you know, about like, basically, you know, you screwed up and, mm -hmm. uh, now there's a ship missing with like 1300 people on it. Um, and that whole speech that he gives about, you know, we still need to do our jobs kind of thing. Right. Um, right. So. Yeah. And I like, um, I like a couple things in there. Like, you know, again, you see the effect of that on D of, you know, realizing what, you know, 
a weight that is that, you know, you, you miss one thing and suddenly that's, you know, 1300 people, you know, who you're sort of feeling responsible for and everything. Um, you know, but so, and I also think that's a, you know, interesting moment for Ty because after that, I think it's after that where Adama has the little thing about like, you know, oh, you're, Ty says he's feeling more alive than he has in years. And Adama's like, well, that's good. But also like, you know, his, his thing about, you know, there's a lot of people uh, wishing you weren't feeling as good as you are. And Ty says, you know, if the crew doesn't hate the XO, then he's not doing his job. Um, right. You know, which Adama doesn't necessarily seem to agree with. He then kind of goes on with the like, well, you know, it's one thing to, you know, push them. It's another thing to break them. So I think that's interesting to look in the context of, of D's mistake and his sort of public, like, you know, lecture of her in front of the room and everything. It's like, all right, where is that line? And where, and, and is Ty capable of noticing it? Like, mm. um, you know, cause like, this is like very high stakes life and death. And maybe it is his job to be, you know, the, the kind of hard ass boss, you know, the bad cop to, you know, I guess Adama's like good cop. Um, sure. but also that he seems to kind of relish it, you know, that like thing of like, well, I feel more alive, like, okay, you kind of enjoy lecturing people about how they've gotten thousands of people killed. Like there's something kind of, you know, a little bit weird about that. Um, yeah. you know, and I like that you see some solidarity in the crew, you know, like you get like. Gaeta kind of defending D, saying like, well, we don't actually know what happened and you don't have to put it all on her. Um, so there's this kind of sense of like, maybe Ty's idea of what pushing the crew is and what other people's idea of pushing the crew is are like slightly different, you know. Mm. And whether or not he may even be right about that, but nobody really likes him for it. <laughs> and it kind of, right. you know, makes him the sort of the bad guy of... Uh, you know, of like that whole room, I guess. Yeah. 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 No, he definitely seems to get a kick out of being the one that everyone hates. Um, yeah. So, but there's also, like, I do want to note, like, that with Ty. There's the whole thing of like he he doesn't care. Well, he does kind of care because he wants everyone to hate him, except of course Adama, right? And he sort of gives, um, but but even to the point where like like there's an aspect of that where it's just it's the military, so that's just how it is, right? That's how the ranking works, and right, you know that's that's what the mili being in the military is all about is, you know, following the people above you and the mm -hmm. people below you can do whatever, like you can rant and rage at them, which is, I, that's a different, I, I don't want to necessarily get into like their differing views on like mm -hmm. leadership or whatever at this point, but like, I do want to point out that that is a different way yeah. than necessarily Adama. Right. Adama takes. doesn't um, seem to feel that way at all. But, um, or at least not all the time. Like there are, 
like I'm thinking of like his reminder to Tyrrell, you know, last in the miniseries of like, hey, he's you know, he's the XO and his and I would have made the same command. Like there sure, is Sure, but that. I think there's a difference between being stern yeah. and being and wanting to be hated. You know, like you know, Ty says the crew. The oh yeah. crew, the crew should hate the XO. I, I'm just talking. Like, I, I'm just talking about the the. I'm, I'm not saying that Anama wants to be hated. I'm talking about the the you know command structure. Though. Oh yes. Like like yeah, yeah. the the way that the way that that command structure manifests is different. Yes, but there's still those moments when you get Anama. Sure. Re, you know, reminding people. It's just that he he manifests differently in sort of the, the top-down nature of his yeah. command. I, I don't want to get into all of that, though. What, I, what sure. I wanted to point out, though, is that you definitely have, with Ty, that there is that respect there. Um, so even to the point of, like, when Adama asks, you know, is it my 10 minutes or your 10 minutes to mm-hmm. rest? And Ty says, oh, it's yours. I did it last time. And is it Duala, I think, who reminds mm-hmm. him, like, actually, it should have been your it's turn. It's your turn, yeah. And he, he's sort of willing to give up. So there is, I mean, again, it's limited to Adama. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's not like he has a general generosity or whatever. Um, you know, but it is that, that aspect of him that there's at least, um, you know, some aspect of him where he's willing to sort of sacrifice himself for something mm-hmm. <laughs> some well, reason or other. and i think that's um, even present in his wanting to be you know disliked by the crew generally because he even says like well i have to make you know the old man look good and so it's like he almost sees it as his job to sacrifice his popularity for the sake of adama like i again i'm the bad cop i'm the one who's here to like give them a hard time and not let them get away with anything so that you can be the more sort of exalted father figure, you know? Um, mm. So even that is somewhat sacrificial too, but again, more so for Adama's sake than for, you know, uh, you know, anybody else's. Um. Sure. Sure. Um, um, go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> I. Okay, so, so we talked a bit about Adama there. Um, I guess just the you know the other things I wanted to talk about with him, uh, just sort of like thinking about the plot stuff. Um, I find it interesting too that like, for the you know thinking from like the meta perspective of like the writers in the room, like, oh, what should we have? happen in this episode um and as you sort of pointed out there actually isn't a lot that happened we get the jump at the beginning and then it's a lot of waiting around mm-hmm. like planning and maybe doing and thinking about doing and preparing for <laughs> but not much actual doing so you get like these plans of like adama you know wanting to divide the fleet into multiple groups and then, you know, jump a few times and then rendezvous and all of that. Um, And then, and, you know, Ty sort of complains about the amount of work involved in that, especially given the fact that like 
they're barely able to calculate the you know one jump in you know, 33 minutes you know mm-hmm. for all the different um things which which again like you know is that a function of their slowing sort of mental capabilities or mm-hmm. is there something mechanical and electronic going on like mm-hmm. is the computer getting backed up with too many calculations like would this be a problem if their ship was networked you know if right. adama would allow you know all the systems to be networked together because that is a that is an argument right that's what roslyn says is like it would be faster and like right you know be able to you there you would your you would have better capabilities and that kind of thing and, and adama's like well i don't want it to be faster it's more dangerous or whatever right um Right, this is slower, but, but maybe more precise and and more secure against or, threat and or everything. less. I mean, I, I was thinking like less susceptible to like viruses and that. Sure, kind of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Like yeah. It, you know, it's not even that. It's like the computers might not be more or less accurate per se. It's just that like if one system does have end up having a virus in it, then it's not going to like uh, you know proliferate throughout the ship. It's just going to be sort mm-hmm. of be more contained and that kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, and for whatever reason, like something seems to work because the Cylons don't take down BSG like they mm-hmm. do the other battle stars, right? So there, there's there's a certain logic to that, um, mm-hmm. but that might be now what's making them incapable of, you know, doing the appropriate calculations, you know, in a suitable manner of time and uh, or amount of time. I mean, not manner of time. Time doesn't have a manner. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, so um, you know, so you get this plan, but then you even get like, um, you know, when the Cylons don't show up mm-hmm. after that jump, you get him like telling Roslyn, like, "Oh, you know, we had a plan, but we haven't put it into place yet," and it's like. There's a lot of that in this episode of, of just like, oh, there are these things sort of going on, but not really. You have, um, you know, the doctor who wants to come talk to Rosalind, but mm-hmm. never actually comes. Um, and, you know, for good reason, because he's on the Olympic carrier. Now, we don't know if he's on it when it shows up again, but at least right. at one point he was on it. Yeah. Um, you get um, even even with okay, the Cylons show up in the beginning and they jump. But even like after that, it's like there's this whole promise or anxiety about the Cylons showing up again. And then they never do. Yeah. Like, except for, you know, whatever may or may not be on the Olympic carrier. Like if there are Cylons on there, which it seems like there probably aren't, like it was filled with nuclear weapons. So like, it seems like the idea was just basically to shove it into the, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, rest of the crew and then, or you know, the rest of the fleet and then blow it up. Um, you do. There is someone on there. We don't know who. Like, there's somebody giving right. communication. Somebody from maybe the ship. posing as a pilot or yeah. We yeah. Um and and you know so you have you I don't know it, it's just it's interesting to me how you know in this you know, all all of this episode is like all potential action, but mm-hmm. not like actual action. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I mean, yeah. you know, people are people are like walking from place to place and that kind of thing. But it's just, you know, from like a from like an actual like things that we things that happen in this episode, there just isn't that much. Um and it even sort of just kind of leaves off at the end, which so going back to sort of what I was really going to say was just like it is fascinating to me because I still really like this episode and I still mm-hmm. think it's a good story even even after saying all that I'm basically saying there's not much story to it. Right. <laughs> um yeah. So it's kind of kind of interesting in that way. No, I I think that's a really good point and like I think that's kind of why it's really interesting and unique is like it was striking me when we were going through it and realizing there wasn't actually much plot to cover is that going from, you know, this epic miniseries that covers all this ground and has all this sort of action to it and introducing mm-hmm. all this backstory and everything to then it, it brings it down to a really satisfying sort of micro level of like, all right, we're going to, it doesn't necessarily take place in the space of 33 minutes, but kind of that title is like pointing to the fact of we're going down to like a very small window of time where it's not about like, you know, the big epic decisions. It's about the very small decisions, but, but kind of how those are as important as anything else, you know, like how well we calculate our jumps matters, you know, what Rosalind the call that she makes about do we, you know, destroy the Olympic carrier or not, that matters. That has huge, you know, weight for, you know, everybody. Um, and kind of like bringing it down to sort of the importance of those very, you know, very, I mean, not that that's a small decision, but that like, it's not just about the big philosophical questions of like, where do we go from here? We go find earth like those. It's sort of like, all right, we have to continually make question, make these decisions every moment, every day. Um, Like, and they're not going to get, and like, obviously this is like an extreme version, but kind of looking forward how like, we're not going to get a break from that. Um, Like, it's just going to keep coming and you have to keep sort of, you know, doing what you're doing and try to figure out some other way. Um, you know, and actually one thing that struck me is if there's a really nice kind of thematic tie between this and the angel episode that we're going to talk about, um, I kind of felt like at least for the Cordy plot and, and this episode, like both of them are sort of about like, you know, the kind of hellish responsibility of what it means to be in charge, you know, like, and how Mm. that doesn't actually necessarily make you more free. Um, you know, because suddenly you're in control of the fate of other people, you know, um, and that actually is kind of an awful burden, you know, how like sure. Adama and Rosalind have to make that decision, you know, to, you know, right. fire on these civilians and how Lee and Kara have to decide whether or not to follow that order, Um you know, and I like how with like Lee, there's that acknowledgement of you don't necessarily have to follow orders. Like, yes, you do in a military environment, but how that doesn't mean you're not responsible for your own, you know, if you pull that trigger, you're responsible for that action. Um, 
right. even if you were ordered to do it. And so it not necessarily giving anybody like a break, like, you know, you're sort of made to be accountable for these big decisions and everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, so, well, okay. So you mentioned Roslyn. Sorry. It's like, it's like with all of these different comments that you can go like all a bunch of different ways. So sure. um, it's always hard to know sort of which way to go next, but um, you mentioned Roslyn there. And, and so we haven't really talked about her yet. Um, you get the, well, there's a couple of things. So one with her conversations with Adama, um, very interesting sort of shift from the last time we sort of saw the two of them mm -hmm. together, um, where she's like in the, you know, meeting room there or whatever. And it's like, it's like she, she very much does like the power play of like, have a seat. I'll get with you in a minute. Like, yeah. you know, and then the whole, like, are you going to stage a military coup and this and that? And they sort of come to a, an agreement, you know, sort of a, you know, there's a military aspect and then there's a, you know, civil aspect and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, here, she's very much more deferential. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, like, there's that moment of like, um, when they're on the phone, I forget exactly even what the question is, um, or the comment is or whatever. And, and Adama's like, it's a military decision. And she's like, oh, yes, yes. Like, of course it is. Like, I trust you to make the right decision or whatever. And then, like, she tells him to, like, thank the, you know, his people mm -hmm. for the good job they're doing. This and that. Um, and so I want, like, I mean, I mean, first of all, there's that recognition, right, of, like, yes, this is definitely you know, being under basically constant attack for five days is clearly sort of a military thing. And so, you know, she's going to defer to him in, in those matters. But, but even, like, there's a, I don't know, it just seems like there's a difference between acknowledging that and sort of the sort of deferential way she does it. Sure. Um, and then also... But at the same time, there's like that um, conversation when the Olympic carrier first sort of appears and you get the outburst from Baltar, who we'll need to talk about um, shortly, uh, because we're already over an hour. Yeah. Um, so much for the shorter episodes being like, <laughs> you know, translating to shorter episodes for us. Um, you know, but there's that... that uh, conversation that they have after you know Baltar's sort of outburst there and you know um Adama saying well I agree like we need to like destroy the ship and then you know her sort of following up with that and you almost wonder like I mean I I, I want to think that Roslyn has integrity so I don't mean to like question it mm -hmm. um per se but like had Adam like like is this truly like a deferential thing? Like had Adama said, you know what, let's let it go, which he have given the same reply of, I tend to agree. Like, mm. like you know, well, I don't know what to say really more than beyond that. Just like it, it that sort of deference that she's giving to him is definitely sort of a big change from the miniseries where 
you know, one, you know, where initially they were very contentious. And then like, even when they sort of came to an agreement, it was like sort of a cold, you know, stale agreement, like just very stoic and, and like, okay, we've, we've drawn our lines and neither of us shall cross them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't don't know know if you have any thoughts on that, but uh, I just thought I'd sort of point that out. That no, you're right. There is a there is a difference there, and I wonder if it's just like a matter of like, you know, uh, she's you know, Ty and the others are are can be you know quite rude when they talk about like her as this you know, and Adama too talking about her as this like school teacher who doesn't know anything, you know, sure. which isn't you know which sells her short, but also like. It's not like she's ever been president before and had to make these sort of executive decisions where thousands of lives are affected by her decision. And so I wonder if that's a a, a kind of function of, you know, how early this is in the story and how like, okay, mm-hmm. in this sort of crisis situation, maybe she is happy to defer to him on the like big life and death questions for the time being, you know, of like, Again, he's been in battle before. She hasn't, you know? And so, you know, maybe I'm not saying it was all a lot of big talk. And now, like, you know, I think obviously she's a strong leader and we'll see, you know. But I I think maybe she doesn't start out quite as assertive as, you know, she maybe thought she would or maybe as she will grow to be later. Um, Mm. But... Um, yeah, and, I mean, I mean and it, there is, and there is some deference from Adama, like it is her call to, you know, to just, and now she's, again, like you said, listening to the advice of Baltar and Adama. So it's not like she totally makes the call herself, but it does have to be her who says, you know, do it. Um, you know, true. and, that's and true. he does like, he waits for her decision on that. He doesn't just say like, screw you, it doesn't matter what you think, we're going to go take the, out that ship. Um, maybe he would have done that anyway, but he, he doesn't, at least. Um, he at least waits and gives her the chance to decide one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and there's also the aspect that she's under the same sort of, uh, you know, sleep deprivation conditions that everyone else sure. is, too. So, like, they're... sure. There's just that, I mean, maybe that's more, you know, people sort of get down to their bare selves, right? Mm-hmm. When they're, uh, you know, overly tired or whatever. So maybe it's just that. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not a anything more. Yeah. I don't know. Um, all right. So, okay. <laughs> Acknowledging that we're over time here. What uh, like who else do we need to talk about? Because I feel like we've talked about the situation quite a bit, but um, where should we go from here? Well, I mean, just finishing with the last thing I really wanted to make sure to mention for Roslyn, um, with just kind of the tone of the episode. You know, it's very, you know, uh, it's a very tough episode. You know, tonally. But that you have um, that one kind of grace note at the end of after her having to eliminate so many 
numbers off of her sort of head count, she gets to add the one in of the baby at the end. So there's this kind of sense of like, yes, they, the, the two don't balance out, but it's not all bad. There is, you know, if like her whole thing in the miniseries was we need to start making babies. And so like here in the first sure. episode, we get the first, you know, baby. So, you know, and you kind of see her like, you know, she's able to take some joy in just that one number that she gets to add to, you know, um, her whiteboard. And we get the introduction of her whiteboard um, and her sort of running tally of people, um, you know, so we kind of have a sense of, you know, going forward, how many people are left alive and everything. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I so, don't know. I mean, I definitely want to talk about Baltar and number six, at least for a minute. I don't know if there's any other really big character stuff that I had, unless you had something. No. Um, I think, uh, I think we hit most everything. Like there's little things like Duala and the photo board. Right. Um, but we'll see the photo board again. So I guess it's not hugely important maybe to talk about it at this point. Um, sure. You know, um, Hilo, we should talk about briefly. Mm -hmm. Just that we see him again. Um, there's sort of this like setup, I guess, between the Cylons and him because we get him sort of being chased by two Cylons. He blows them up, and then a six model comes out, mm -hmm. and like we get the "Are you alive?" question again, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. And then she's killed by a Sharon model, right? Um, who's sort of posing? Well, who's posing as Sharon? Um, I don't, we don't have a better thing to call her than like the Sharon model. Or yeah, I would at this point. call like, her Sharon to distinguish her from Boomer. Um, but yeah. 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 Well, and you get like, um, you know, the, what was I going to say? I totally lost my train of thought. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, you know, at least with like, with the silence chasing the battle star, you again have that kind of lack of motivation of just, they're just the faceless enemy that's coming to get us. Whereas here we don't necessarily get them explaining their plan, but you get the sense of like, like you said, this is a setup that there's some sort of, you know, we're, we're setting up a little trick, you know, and trap for Hilo. And we know that he's gonna, you know, recognize, you know, Sharon and think that it's, you know, his Sharon. Um, and, and even after, you know, lest we get confused about any of this, even after Sharon and Hilo run away, you get the other, another number six kind of watching them go. So you get that sense of like, all right, this is all part of some sort of plan. You know, right. these two are being put together for whatever reason. And they're going to because, you know, maybe they'll be like monitored going forward. Um, so, you know, you get to see a little bit more up close the kinds of things that the Cylons are up to, even if we don't understand it yet. Right. 
and right and not really knowing like they they clearly know who he well they seem to know who Hilo is like right otherwise right. why would that specific Cylon model you know right be chosen be yeah. chosen and have any meaning right 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 and I mean while we're on the theme of the Sharons um with Boomer on the Battlestar you get a sense of how upset she is at having left Hilo like because she sort of gets angry even when you know when the chief tells her, you know, uh, tries to talk to her about it. Um, and you get, um, crash down who's her new sort of partner. Um, mm. you know, and she's not happy about having him on board either. So, um, you know, kind of referencing the fact of she's not, you know, she hasn't uh, forgotten what happened and is still sort of very upset about, you know, losing Hilo and everything. Right. So Baltar. So Baltar. <laughs> we saved him and we'll have to talk about him kind of quickly. But um, yeah, we kind of wanted to keep him separate because apart from the bit where he is very important in convincing Rosalind to destroy the Olympic carrier, he's not necessarily involved in the plot all that much. Um, but he gets a lot of screen time, you know, because we get to explore sort of his psyche a little bit more and you know he you get his 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 own mind palace you know his sort of mm. you know memories or dreams of his sort of beautiful mountain house you know where he and uh you know number six hang out and talk about god and you know <laughs> right. you know have deep you know philosophical debates and everything um so yeah i mean that's the stuff i think is really important is this debate between them of why do things happen the way they happen and and their differing opinions and you know head six for head six it's all about god you know that you know god has a plan for you he's watching you he wants you to have children he wants you to survive like everything is motivated by you know what god wants and for baltar he's looking for you know quantifiable rational explanations that he can sort of manipulate in order to stay alive and everything like it doesn't necessarily help his survival to just rely on you know uh the will of the gods all the time sure um you know and i think it's interesting too that you get very clearly the contrast between head six's god and the gods that the humans believe in you know so you get right. her being very you know insistent on a one god and you know whereas in general the humans are sort of polytheistic you know that there are you know the gods plural and baltar right. of course not believing in any of it um you know until right. his until his sort of panicked repent repention at the end when he uh Repentance, I should say. Um, repentance, not a word. Um, <laughs> sure. His repentance, which, you know, again, is followed by, you know, the result that he wanted, although we don't get any clear indication as to whether there's a connection between those things. Um, 
Right. And that's the, you know, again, that's the ambiguity, right? Um, you know, is there, you know, is this just sort of fortuitous uh, circumstances looking like there's a plan, you know, mm -hmm. in place? Or is it, you know, or is there an actual being, you know, sort of mm -hmm. orchestrating things in his favor for some reason or other? Mm -hmm. A question to which we don't have an answer. No. All right. Um, yeah. All right. Shall we move on? Let's move on. Okay. Um, so, Angel. Yeah, we're moving on to Angel. Um, and Queen Cordy, and you, you mentioned, I think, after we stopped recording, that this isn't the first time we've seen Cordy referred to as a queen. Um, right. So, uh, speaking of somebody fulfilling their destiny, maybe, you know, she right. was, she was, you know, as the Grusalug says, maybe she was always a queen and it just, you know, people had to just recognize it. Um, you know, so yeah, you get her kind of picking up where we left off in her, you know, crown and her throne and her, you know, skimpy little outfit that they have her in. Um, right. And you get her uh, indulging and, you know, uh, having fun with her, you know, her power and her title. So, um, you know, uh, actually, I can't believe I, this just hit me now. Um, but the, the, ironic foreshadowing of her starting this saying off with their heads you know um yes you know and and then oh kidding kidding like there's that split second where it's like does she mean it <laughs> you know and they're even right even they're kind of like a little worried for like you know uh the you know that one second um but of course she's kidding and she's just sort of you know teasing them and you know enjoying herself and everything um you know but and and you know then of course they're more happy to see the the food than they are her um but yeah and kind of one of the things i wanted to talk about with cordy is that kind of ambivalence of her you know position and which like even in the episode she goes back and forth between uh how happy or not is she to be sort of you know the princess of this realm and everything um so i guess maybe we should kind of start with like why she's the queen you know because we saw in the last episode you know they sort of tortured her for a while and then decided that she was cursed but then apparently that makes her the ruler um you know, and so here we get sort of the introduction of what are they called? The Covenant of the Trombley. Um, right. And Lauren says they're a humorless bunch. <laughs> and, um, you know, they have this prophecy of their uh, messiah who's cursed with, with pure sight and will claim the throne and, you know, restore the monarchy. So Cordy being, you know, 
the fulfillment of that prophecy. Right. Um, right. And so we don't really know what the full prophecy is, of course. And, and there's always, there's that comment from Angel, right? Of like, oh, great, you know, prophecies, they never go wrong, right? <laughs> um, which, you know, him being the subject of a prophecy himself. Sure, sure. Uh, that we haven't really seen. Yeah, there's always, seen he knows that yet. there's always like, you know, a subtext that you have to sort of be wary of. Right. Um. And I mean, we get, we, we don't get the prophecy per se. Like we still, I don't know that we still even by the end of the episode know like what the prophecy is meant to accomplish. We just sort of get the bits and pieces of what are, you know, what needs to happen for the prophecy to be fulfilled. Um, mm -hmm. You know, which is like, uh, so we get like two words, right? We get Kamshak and Grusalug. Um, and we have to like put those together. We know that Kamchak is a verb mm -hmm. and that, you know, Gruselug is a noun and that the Kamchaking happens with the Gruselug. Right. But right. like, I, I love that there's like this sort of ambiguity to it. Um, yeah. And Gunn immediately says it's something dirty. Um, right. You know, which he's right, you know. It turns um, out to be, yeah, a mating ritual. Um, and of course, there's the, you know, uh, you know, the formation of the word Kamshuk sure. is used in, you know, ways <laughs> to evoke, you know, expletives. Um, and even like the acknowledgement of like from Cordy that like her love life hasn't been so great mm -hmm. in recent years, you know, that there's, uh, you know, it's been a while since she's Kamshuk right, with right. Uh, anyone. So, right. And um, her, and her frustration at, when she does get some, it's always, you know, the demons. So, you know, her, right. <laughs> uh, you know, do I give off a come shuck me vibe and all that. Um, right. You know. Um, which, you know, again, like, it's not really different this time, right? Because it's, he, you know, the Gruselug is a Pylean, like he's a demon, but he has cow's blood apparently in him right right um so he looks human and not just looks human but like really good human <laughs> to cordy right like right right she when she when you know the gruesome like, finally does come in um she's rather enthralled with him um right and, and that's okay a, with tom shocking sure and that's a good fake out of like the the, the sort of beast of burden who's carrying in like you know, the sacks of whatever it is. And like, you know, and then, you know, the Gruselug comes in and it's like, I'll just put that anywhere. Like that's his like servant who's like carrying his packages or something. Um, you know, so you get a little like, you know, yeah. little fake out there with his appearance. Yeah. And Cordy definitely uh, changes her tune a little bit when she uh, sees what he's really like. Um but, um, you know, with her again, and I, I mentioned this a few minutes ago, I wanted to kind of also go to this idea of like, what does it mean to be, you know, Queen Cordy and, you know, and her ambivalence about it, not just being about, 
having to sort of mate with demons, but also the fact that, you know, she's still sort of, you know, treated like, you know, the, the slave, even though she's the queen. Um, like, mm. yeah, she's less dirty and gets, you know, to wear like, you know, flattering clothes and, you know, sit on a throne and be served and everything. But the fact that the priests, it's not like they revere her in any way. Like she's sort of the the fulfillment of this right. prophecy that they want to bring about. But what that means is that she's sort of their servant. You know, she, you know, can't leave the castle and, you know, they sort of keep, uh, keeping her from doing things and manipulating her and, you know, all this kind of thing. Um, right. You know, and she kind of likens that to, you know, she talks about uh, her time as an actress and how like, you know, when you finally get the gig, it means that it's not that great. It means that it gives everybody license to sort of boss you around and objectify you and, you know, uh, tell you what to do and everything and how is this really any different uh, you know like she's finally you know queen cordy she's being treated you know it what should be you know the way she should always have been treated and it's you know pretty much the same as when she was shoveling you know their you know muck out of the stable and everything yeah. um it's just with nicer clothes like but functionally right. like she's no safer right. here than she was there um you know and they even make privately they talk about how once the the mating ritual is over she's pretty much disposable they don't even really need to keep her alive anymore right right um and again we don't really know what why like we don't know what this mating ritual like is this like is it the spawn that they're going after like why a mating ritual like what are sort of the things that can happen <laughs> you know there well <laughs> uh you know mating sort of the functional purpose of mating is to have offspring so like is there something there or is it is there something sort of magical about it? You know, like, is there, um, you know, a, is the ritual aspect like meant to bring something about? Is it symbolic? We like, it's just, we don't know. Um, mm -hmm. We can guess that given the books that uh, mm -hmm. they have and that Wesley puts together the fact, you know, which is where we get, like the description of the ritual, right? Um, uh, are, are these books with a wolf, a ram, and a heart on them? Um, obviously seeming to refer to Wolfram and Hart. Right, um, which is very clever. I never, in all the, in two seasons of hearing Wolfram and Hart, it, you know, the animal significance never really hit me before. So that's, sure. Uh, and, and I, I very... applaud the writers there all very sort of fairy tale or like yeah. mythic animals. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like even, even the use of heart rather than deer right. or deer, whatever, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Um, you know, just that idea of like, 
the heart or the stag is, you know, very much a sort of fairy tale creature. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. Yeah, and I, and I like, and just sorry, really quickly too. Like, I and I don't this don't give me an answer if there even is one, but that gets me wondering too. Like, what do those things signify? You know, like, mm. you know, why Wolfram and Hart? Like, is that is there significance to the, the the number of the three of them? Do they each serve some sort of unique purpose in this? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. That just gets me wondering about what does that, why those animals, and what does that mean for sort of, I guess Wolfram and Hart as a organization and everything. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. And I won't say whether or not that question gets answered um we don't get an answer here obviously so right. <laughs> um but also the like we've sort of gotten a hint at the interdimensionality right before but this is like like now we're getting you know because we've seen like angel like when he you know like there's the demon that comes from somewhere and he like kills it and gets the ring right and mm -hmm. there's the whole thing with darla and whatnot yeah um and then there's even you know and then even like the the elevator to hell kind of thing like you know you know like is there really a hell well first of all i mean it just takes them back to earth so like right. it's sort of a fake out there but like just that idea of like there are other like hell dimensions and that kind of thing mm -hmm. um you know but this is like we should talk about the episode too. The title, I mean, um, the, sure. of course, of course, we're talking about the episode. <laughs> that's why we're here. Um, but the title um, is "Through the Looking Glass." So this, yeah. you know, this whole and last, you know, last time we had um, uh, "Over the Rainbow," right? So yeah. these are these are all, you know, so more modern fairy tale mm -hmm. or you know, fantasies, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of going to other places um, and sort of discovering yourself in a way um, mm -hmm. and, you know, discovering what it is you want and that kind of thing. Um, but that, that um, you know, through the looking glass aspect, well, one, we get the angel, right, with the mirrors and that kind yeah. of thing yeah. later. Um but also, so like, this is uh, the other side of the mirror, so to speak, from, you know, thinking about Wolfram and Hart still. Like, this, we're seeing the activities in another dimension, right? Mm. And so, like, we don't, we don't know what the ritual is, but given, given that sort of history of, like, you know, the special projects of interdimension, you could almost see, like, Lindsay's on the other side of the portal waiting for something to happen right like mm. we we don't know what it is well maybe not Lindsay because he's he's left but sure uh, you know Lila say is on the other side of you know the portal like waiting for something to come out of Pylea here and you know even though sort of Cordy and you know Cordy's going in um you know was an accident or whatever 
like that there's there's clearly like other movement between the two realms and we don't know what that is so you know again that's i, I don't mean to like drag it out too much but um just that you know the through the looking glass aspect of of you know the there are things you know if a if a mirror is sort of a portal into another world which mm -hmm. is sort of a traditional yeah you know idea of like fairy tales and magic and stuff then you know this is like one aspect of it like oh wait so there are it's not like just you know people in our world sort of conjuring demons and beings mm -hmm. from other places you know sort of out of the blue they're, they're actively doing stuff over there too like this is sort of there's like an organization going on here that mm -hmm. um, we don't have and so whatever ritual Cordy and the Grusalug are supposed to be involved with is you know it has some sort of parallel or effect sure. in our world as well so it it's even sort of bigger than just you know Cordy has to mate with a demon kind of thing. Like there's, right, right. there's that bigger aspect that we just don't know about. Like we don't know what it is or why it's happening or, or what Wolfram and Hart hopes to accomplish. But mm -hmm. um, just recognizing that it's there, I think is important. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, through the looking glass aspect of, like you said, you go through the portal into, you know, the other realm and, you know, you find yourself, but that can mean a lot of different, you know, things. And so thinking about what does that mean for the characters, like, you know, Cordy, you know, being set up as sort of the queen, you yeah. know, is that a reflection of her sort of true self that she's found? Or is that a sort of inversion of what she's, you know, when she says like, when she said she didn't want to go back to being a slave, you know, does that mean with the, you know, these demons shoveling, you know, poo in their barn, or does that mean in her old life, you know, and she's, she kind of says like to Wesley, like, Oh, you want to get back to the Cordy's not a queen dimension. So like, you know, having this idea of this world being a sort of, you know, you're whatever you are in the old world, you, you're sort of reversed here. Um, mm. you know, and I think you get that with Lauren too, where like, you know, he feels at home on earth and that's a place where he can be a moral guide to people and he can, people gather around to hear his singing and to hear his advice and everything. And here he's like the pariah, you know, like nobody wants anything to do with him. And if he sings, they all right. like clutch their ears and, you know, scream in agony and everything. Um, you know, and there's a nice, with the, like, over the rainbow Wizard of Oz references, there's a nice, like, reversal there, too, of, like, he's somebody who doesn't want to go home. You know, he's somebody mm. who, Earth is his Oz, you know, and he wants to sure. stay there. <laughs> you know, like, this is Kansas for him, and it's, you know, awful and drab and, you know, he doesn't want to be back. Um, and, you know, with Angel too, like you get him, you know, being able to be fully human in a way that he wasn't back home. You know, he's out in the sun, he has his reflection, he gets to be the pure hero here, you know, of, uh, yeah. 
you know, Lauren saying like, oh, you know, here you can just revel in the heroism without all the moral ambiguity. But then when his, you know, when he indulges in the vamp side and goes into his vampire mode, it totally takes over, you know? And so you see that, you know, that true, that other true image inside of him. So um, that's a nice little theme of like, you know, the looking glass and like, you know, both the looking glass as something that reflects your true, what you really look like. And also as something that you can travel through to sort of get to this other, you know, dimension and everything. Mm. Um, I mean, I kind of jumped ahead to Angel for a minute, but I did want to talk at least a little bit about, um, that ending with Cordy, um, you know, because again, you get her being, uh, kind of flippant about, you know, her, her rule, you know, and joking at the beginning about off with their heads. Um, and then, you know, again, you know, very nearly not realizing that Lauren needs her help, you know, and she's sort of like, they're about to like carry him away and chop off his head when she sort of notices and says like, oh no, you know, I pardon him, get out of here. But then kind of like, doesn't necessarily stick around to make sure he's okay. She sort of immediately shoves him out the door and, you know, Mm. gets back to her, you know, uh, her preparations for her mating ritual and everything. Um, You know, so she doesn't necessarily cause what happens, but there's a sense of like, you know, her not realizing how, you know, well, I guess there's some ambiguity about how much power does she actually have too? because, you know, there's definitely the sense from the priests at the end of, we need to get her moving along and we'll send her a stern message. And so, you know, they come in, you know, with, you know, Lauren's head on a platter. So, you know, that sucks. And I was under the impression that Lauren would be around for a while. So I, I'm, I'm holding out hope that, um, this can be, uh, this can be fixed. Sure. Uh, that's what I mean, I'm, that's what I'm pulling for right now. I he's become one of my favorites, so I'm you know, yeah. I, I sure. And there's two possibilities there. One is that I was lying when sure. I gave you that impression, right? Right. Uh, the other is that we've seen people return from yeah. death or yes. worse, <laughs> you know, in the past. Yeah. So yeah, I won't tell you which of those two things is true. Yeah, well, and it kind of, uh, you know, brings home this whole running thing of Lauren saying for, like, what, like, three episodes now, um, I don't want to go back home. You know, I hate it there. (laughs) It's awful. You know, don't make me do it. And then, you know, sure enough, what happens? They chop his head off. So, um, you know, his fears seem to be kind of 
justified. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and okay, so if we're going to talk about Lauren, and I know, I'm sorry, I know we're sort of jumping all around, but we want to okay. talk about his family. Yes. Um, and the visit to his home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is hilarious, I think. Sure, sure. Um, so, one, he's already perfectly described, like, how his family is, right? Like, they, he doesn't want to be there. They don't want him there. And yeah, that's, that's the way he wishes it. it would stay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, like, and of course, you get the um, humorous thing of, you know, at first you think, it's his father that they're going to talk to. And then you get right. like him saying, you know, mom and yeah. angels like in the background, like yeah. mom. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. what? Um, and her uh, sort of florid uh, uh, statements about, you know, how disappointed in him that she is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we ate the wrong son. We ate the wrong son. Um, uh and of course they're you know simply not like there's no like they they go there and there's just really nothing that that they do to help in any way shape or form right i mean it's um you know eventually like landoc sort of takes them and goes goes off with angel you know to the center of town where they're like engaging i guess in what heroes engage in and like telling stories to the town folk and mm-hmm. like that kind of thing like Topping it's not off there's slaves heads you know <laughs> yeah um the only sort of redeeming value that comes out of it is you know that eventually angel meets fred because she's the one that they're going to slaughter for the right. feast right um so in that res- like but that's incidental right like that's right. not you know anything to do with Lauren's family or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and of course we have to mention Noomfar. Noomfar, um, yes. Who is, of course, uh, portrayed by Joss Whedon uh, right. himself. Um, and this is, I believe, the only cameo we get in either Buffy or Angel. But um, just a very a very oh. funny sort of... Uh, of course he, it would be this one. The, the, the sort of mock seriousness with which you know they do the scene of course of you know you know do the dance of joy um and then uh what what's the second one i forget it's like the dance of welcome or honor or something honor i think it is yeah something like that um you know so you know like there's these sort of ritual dances but they're just so ridiculous like that yeah you know it's it's not even like it clearly can't be something they actually do, right? Um no, well and it strikes me as funny that um in a a culture that has no music and hates it, that they apparently really uh you know, these are the very serious dances of joy and honor. Like, you know, they Right. The silliness of, you know, apparently ridiculous dances are, you know, totally fine um yeah you know but you know the kind of arbitrariness of their dis 
their their dislike of music when this is like, you know, goofy dancing is sort of part of their ritual and everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, um, yeah, uh-huh. and and you know, finishing off with Lauren too. Again, you get that repeated i that repeated idea of you know, I guess the looking glass of of who you really are and your true self. And he he says to Angel, you know they see you a certain way and you start to see yourself that way. You become Mm. that image. I get it. I do because I know how they see me. So again, there's this idea of is what you appear to be necessarily reflective of who you really are. And do you start to become, you know, if people treat you like an outcast, will you become one and all those sorts of questions, you know, um, and Angel certainly seems, you know, I think with Angel and Cordy, you get them both kind of being a bit, um, you know, flattered and tempted by their new sort of appearances in this, you know, reality. Um, mm. You know, Angel, I mean, Cordy, obviously, with, you know, being the queen, but, you know, Angel kind of can't stop staring at his own reflection, you know? <laughs> I mean, no, part of it is that he never gets to see one. So there's just something exciting and novel about that. Um, and some of it is just funny. Like the fact that his hair bothers him, like it's too tall and everything. Um, right. You know, but, but there is that sense of like, kind of, there's the vanity of like, Oh, now that he can see the reflection, that's kind of all he can really, you know, uh, he gets, you know, very sidetracked by that. Um, but that being, of course, like contrasted by the image of, you know, the demon, which is living inside of him, which is yeah very ugly. Um, you know, and he's sort of at the end, you know, totally disgusted by that and realizing like, that's what is really inside of him and everybody else saw it. And so he, you know, you know, after a season of finally getting Angel back with the group, now he's saying like, I can't go back and they can't ever see me again. Mm. Sure. Sure. Um, all right. So. Let's Let's talk about Fred. Yeah. Um, who we met briefly before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she got taken away. And now got now we see, like, why they took her away. Like, she's been a bad cow, so now she's going to be slaughtered and eaten. Mm-hmm. Um, Angel rescues her, takes her, you know, off into the countryside or whatever, and um, she runs off to apparently this cave where she's been staying since she ran away mm-hmm. from, you know, her captors. Um, so what are you, what are your thoughts so far now, now that we get like a little more of her personality and stuff? Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of like the, you know, there was a little bit of it in the last one, but that kind of, the humor of her, you know, of, of her kind of way of speaking and everything and how, again, we know that she was this, you know, uh, physicist, you know, student 
you know, so she's clearly very intelligent, but also a bit scrambled by what she's, you know, been through. So, you know, you kind of get that she's very perceptive of some things, but also like kind of living in in another world and in other ways. So, you know, her things of like, you know, you're not real or I'm not real. Somebody here isn't real. And I suspect it to you. Um, you know, which maybe has some sort of deeper meaning to it, but also is just kind of her own doubting her own senses and everything. Um, you know, and that she, she, her old life, she just remembers as a dream rather than as, um, you know, a really real life that she lived, which has a nice kind of Wizard of Oz flavor to it. Um, and I I loved her reaction to hearing about Cordy being made queen. Um, you know, her, her, oh, yeah. oh, oh, when I got here, they didn't do that. Uh, well, <laughs> right. well, that's like, nice for her. Like cl that clearly, that clear, <laughs> just that barely controlled, you know, envy, um, of like, why didn't they make me queen? Um, you know, but she's trying really hard to be like generous and not like catty about it. Um, you know, and there's that has a nice fairy tale quality too of like, you know, in a lot of fairy tales, you have like two different people who seem very similar, but they have very different fortunes. You know, one is like, you know, made into royalty and the other is sort of a slave. And, you sure. know, I mean, if Fred has anything going for her, it's that like the slaves off, you know, our servants often turn out to be like, you know, the, the very, you know, their royalty on the inside, you know, um, and that kind of, not to say anything against Cordy, but like, you know, sure. Fred is kind of the Cinderella of this episode of like, you know, she's sort of not quite sure why she's sort of the one to get this, you know, really bad treatment, um, you know, when other girls get, you know, to go to the ball and everything. So. Right. Right. So, yeah. And then, um, you know, we get her going after Angel, even after she sees his sort of demon side. Um, and mm. follows him and knows like what to do. Like she kind of lures him away with, you know, her somehow she got like a bag full of blood and she sort of, you know, leads him back to her cave where she sort of takes care of him and even says that he can stay with her. So, um, mm. you know, you get that. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and we get, so, you know, the, the stuff with her and the dreams and all of that, like, I mean, she's been there five years. So it's interesting that she sort of is having that confusion mm -hmm. between, you know, reality and not real. Um, but of course, you, you also have like, Angel finds her license, right? So her driver's license. So there's this sort of like tangible evidence that she sort of grabs and like takes back, like 
she knows it's hers but like it's it doesn't trigger that like oh there must be you know really another place where i used to be because this is like this is like an artifact of that place right but there's no like mm-hmm. there's no actual like like it it still seems unreal to her like maybe yeah. it was faked somehow or it's all like like she even even though awake she can't quite tell what's dream and what's not dream yeah um so yeah uh all right and then wesley and gun um we get like their initial attempts to help cordy escape mm-hmm. um which doesn't work out because um, no. Cordy gets captured while they're escaping. Um, but then they get captured later by these sort of human rebels who are just as happy to call Gunn and Wesley cows right. as the Pileans are. So, um, yeah, like, you right. know, not we, quite sure what the relationship is there of like, well, and, and one of the things... That, like, why wouldn't they just assume that they're escaped slaves, you know? Right. Well, I they mean, said they followed them from the castle. Okay. Um, but, like, if they were if they were following them from the castle, like, did they not see that, like, they emerged from, like... The sewer. The sewage, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, you, so, yeah, like, again, like you said, like, why is the assumption that they're cow reconnaissance well i mean other than like simple prejudice you know we don't know sort of what the provenance of this human rebellion is like are we talking like these are people who were cows who escaped or is this like there are maybe generations or have been generations of free humans sort of living outside because even like even thinking about cordy when she first arrived, right, she was in the woods and then like there was this Pylean who was sort of out cow hunting, right? Mm-hmm. So like you get the sense that not all humans are by default cows. Like they're not enslaved. Mm-hmm. Um so like, you know, it brings up the question of like, how long have sort of portals been mm-hmm. opening into Earth and you know how many people have sort of come through that there are right that there's sort of at least a camp of you know humans who have some sense of freedom you know and are Mm -hmm. not just slaves of the pilians um right right um and interesting too that exactly like the priests they decide it's time to send cordy queen cordy a stiff warning and that they talk about doing it in the same way that the priests do, which is putting Wesley and Gunn's heads on spikes, sure. you know? So sure. there's, you know, from both her inner, you know, what should be her sort of inner, you know, circle of, you know, uh, priestly advisors and from these sort of human rebels, you get them sort of doing the exact same thing, which is like threatening the queen with, you know, violence and the heads of her friends so yeah. <laughs> um, um kind of an interesting which, parallel yeah definitely and the i mean the other thing is that like cordy's only been a queen for like a day right right so <laughs> yeah. 
So why is it imperative that they send her a message? Like they're making, they're they're basically making the same mistake Cordy's making, which is that she actually has power. Right. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, like like if they've been like okay, so they've been keeping tabs on the castle and stuff. Like they should know that like Cordy's only just become the queen, and that like wouldn't you just sort of assume that like maybe she's not sort of prepared for that. But then again, maybe that's why they're doing it, right? Like, maybe it's like, oh, there's this new monarch. Let's take advantage of this, like, shifting right. fortune and right. send her a message. But then, I also like their sort of uh, inept planning. Um, so you get, like, the one guy, you know, making his plan, and he's like, yeah, we'll, like, go and and you know, fight them all. And the other guy's like, yeah, but we'll be like slaughtered. And he goes, yeah, but that's a plan. Like it said that we still send a message right. like that way. Like, yeah, but it's not, the, so they're not the best tacticians maybe. Sure. Sure. Um, which also implies that maybe the rebellion isn't that old. Like maybe this could be a fairly new, you know, effort at, Again, we don't right. know their full plans or whatever, but like, you know, it's their first sort of attempt at an uprising, so to speak. Right, right. Yeah, they haven't quite got the hang of it yet. Right. Um, which maybe shouldn't make Gunn and Wesley feel too good. No. No, and Wesley's, you know, Gunn realizes that more quickly than Wesley. Gunn kind of is... Right. Realizing that you know, nothing. Yeah, admitting gonna, that you're a friend like, of the yeah. enemy of this rebellion isn't going to like give you any better of the situation. No, no, and that's where Gunn is a more worldly wise person than Wesley is, um, yeah. who sort of appeals to their better nature, and you know that obviously backfires because all logic. it does, yeah. yeah, and all it does is really confirm that they know Cordy and they're again friends with what they perceive to be their enemy um so yeah um not so good for wesley and gun not good for anybody really right and so that's where we leave off yeah oh i have to wait a week all right yeah well, this but, I get to watch the Buffy finale. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, and actually, I wanted to preface it a little bit um, because we're in a bit of a different spot with um, with Buffy here. Um, and normally I might wait until we actually talk about the episode, but I feel like maybe we can um, just add this in here because there's there's sure. a bit of a there's a bit of a thing going on. So um, we made reference back in the early, uh, early parts of the, you know, podcast here that yeah. with Buffy, um, we get different, um, we get different uh, uh, channels that the series is aired on. And right. this is, this is, where it happened not with this episode but after this episode uh -huh. but there but the problem here is that 
we also so there was some it wasn't entirely sure at the time what was going to be happening with Buffy mm. at the end of this season. So I think it's worth keeping that in mind as mm. you're watching that um so this was like so so this is so potentially this, a series finale, not just or at least that yes. was up in the air. Um, yes, exactly. Okay. And so I, I I guess I wanted to make yeah, I wanted to reference that just because there there is I I won't um you know spoil anything here obviously, but but there wasn't it, it wasn't entirely clear um you mm-hmm. know what was gonna happen when Buffy was moving off um the WB and actually it so this this was billed um sorry I was just trying to look it up just to make sure I I was correct um this episode was billed as the series finale interesting when it, when it was originally aired um, okay okay so yeah okay um, so they so they knew they were leaving WB but they didn't know if it had another you know network or whatever lined up right okay yeah very interesting okay and and i'll try to i'll try to look up more information we can talk about that maybe a little bit sure you know at the beginning of our you know our next episode of the podcast Uh, but i did again i wanted to make sure that we had that and remind um, me does angel stay on the wb or does it move with Buffy. No, it does not. And so um, we talked a little bit about that too when we when we were talking about like crossovers between the two shows. That right part of you know part of the the virtue uh, or you know maybe not virtue isn't the right word, but you know part of the effect of Buffy moving to UPN um, mm-hmm. is that Angel does not actually move um, networks. And so there's sort of I'm not saying we never get any crossover but it, we're not gonna we're not gonna see like the sort of two episode thing right. that we've seen a couple times right um, right you know here so uh so yeah no a- angel stays on the wb um oh uh, the wb and upn <laughs> i know right brings back memories uh yeah and well anyway <laughs> we can we can we can talk about more about like sort of the mechanics of the move or whatever if if we need to i don't know that there's a ton to say more about it but um sure you know uh yeah just again i wanted to sort of mention that so that you can keep that in mind as you're watching the episode and um you know noting that the episode name is the gift as Mm. well uh which we all know what Right. The gift is. Death is her gift. Okay. Mm. All right. All right. So anyway, so go watch, have fun, and we'll all be back next week with some discussion around the Buffy season five finale and uh, the second episode of Battlestar Galactica. All right. See you then. And and I managed to say the right uh, show name again. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On that note. See you then.